Hey everyone, this is Sam Bendall, the host of The Reserve Tank. Due to the nature of this week's episode, we need to advise you of a disclaimer. So remember, all the content on The Reserve Tank is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as medical or personal advice. Always consult a qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your own health and also seek out proper medical training before rendering it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reserve Tank presented by Progressive. Today we are here to talk about what happens if you come across a motorcycle accident and what you can do to protect your fellow riders through first aid training and maybe just mentally preparing yourself for the incident that you're about to deal with. Today I have on the show my friend Sharif Masood. He's been a paramedic since 2001 and he's worked for both Ventura and Los Angeles counties. As a paramedic, his duties have allowed him to work in an ambulance, search and rescue helicopter, and on motorcycle details. He's currently a sweep rider and head paramedic for Rawhide Adventures and is a clinical instructor at the University of California at Los Angeles. Hey, Sharif. How you doing, bud? How are you, Sam? I'm great. It's early morning. It's nice and pretty out. We are... I should be out riding, actually. I should be riding motorcycles instead of... Nah, I'm happy to be here with you. Uh, I have a quick scenario I want to throw towards you. It's the middle of summer. It's a very, very warm 90 degrees. You're out along Angeles Crest Highway, or for any of you listeners, whatever major road that you love to ride on. You're with a couple buddies on a leisurely ride, and one of your buddies just stacks it in the corner. Low sides, he's off the road. Uh, you immediately know your day has gone from very fun to not so great at all. Uh, he's groaning. He's guarded. He's on the side of the road. His bike is an absolute mess. You are the only people around. Uh, there's not really a bunch of others. What do you do? How should you proceed? What are the first steps? Well, that's a that's a scenario that I think of. You know, we've all been kind of uh, come across or been uh, we can assimilate to something very you know similar to that and um basically the first thing you want to do is take yourself into account you are obviously in motion uh accidents take a lot of attention they take attention from you they take attention from other drivers and riders around that be cognizant of that um make your get yourself safely through the turn without um, overestimating the skill of the riders behind you, meaning that give them enough room to panic to a stop in their own ways, give them their own room. Basically, don't create another incident in your haste to go attend to your friend. So calmly uh, turn around and um, understand that, that, it, that the situation is not over just because your friend has come to rest, this is an active situation and, 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 and you're right in the center of that thing playing out. So things can and do go wrong in, in, in an evolution of a, of, a, of a scene. And it's usually because um, uh, people forget their surroundings and they, 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 um, they assume that the oncoming traffic coming from both directions is, is not gonna be sucked in visually to your scenario. So if, if there's 
if there's motorcyclists, target fixation is a real thing. You have just become a giant target on the side of the road. You're going to be very close to the center of that target. Make sure that the hazards that are going to be coming at you um, are mitigated. So whether if you if you, you said that I'm riding with another person, um, I'm going to make sure that that person is positioned to be the best onlooker for any potential dangers that are going to be in motion coming towards me and that target. So um, that's my first train of thought. My is keeping me my my surroundings safe. Um, the next thing is to if I got a glimpse of of it, I watched it happen in this case, so I know it's one person involved. You want to take the number of people involved. That's important because sometimes you know people get locked into the scenario. They get locked into one person, especially if you don't do this every day. You might get locked into one person and forget about the overall scene. So that first part is really important. So like. And, and as EMS professionals, we know to secure the scene, right? Make sure and ensure our own safety before helping others. Kind of mm -hmm. like the, you know, put the put the face mask Correct. on your child or put the face mask on yourself in the airplane yeah. before assisting others. Um, so once we've kind of secured that scene and that area, let's talk a little bit about when you approach that person or that area or that or that or that incident. For, uh, for the sake of mm -hmm. conversation. Not to forget about all the people around you. Right. You've prevented traffic from coming on each side. You've made sure everything's safe. At what point do you activate EMS or do you call 911? Is that a right go-to or do we assess the patient first or? Uh, well, you, you, um, you wanna obviously, you can do two things, sometimes three things at once. So uh, the first thing that you're gonna do is, you know, go, out, go into the patient's face. I like to grab the, the, their, their helmet um, chin guard with my hand, which would stabilize their head and neck to some degree. And then I would put my hand on their torso just to see if there was anything uh, uh, notable about their breathing. And I would just say, get into their helmet and say, hello, how are you? Do you, are you okay? Does anything hurt? Um, you, okay, you just got into a motorcycle accident. Okay, I understand. I understand. Tell me what hurts. You know, basically just calm and reassure the patient. In that initial exchange, you're going to see in their eyes whether or not they are conscious, whether or not they're unconscious, whether or not they're breathing, whether or not they're anything different than how you and I are now. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, people want a list of things to look for with, but you know when somebody's really uh, hurt and when they're really not hurt. Right, and um, you can kind of tell that by observing how they're reacting, right? And Yeah, their breathing pattern initially after a trauma like that would be pretty, um, even if it was a significant trauma, you will see some, if, 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 they're, uh, if they're knocked out, they can go into uh, like snoring respirations, They'll, you know, they'll snore and snort, and it'll be a very guttural kind of uh, a breathing that will that will take over. Um, sometimes that will be relieved if you open up their airway and you do so uh, by just, you know, manipulating the the head or the helmet up just to, you know, open up the airway a little bit. But um, if they're 
they're not often on their back. So if they're, uh, you know, if, if you need to, if they, if you come up on them and they're all curled up on themselves in dust and you can't really assess their airway, the intuitive thing is to, with help or with due diligence that you are being cognizant of how you are turning this person over, that you open, get them in a position that is able to assess their airway, breathing, and circulation. You're basically trying to find if the engine is still running inside and that there's, you know, that there's life there. Keep in mind that sometimes where the person comes to rest may not be in a place that you can, in a long-term way, take care of them. So if right. they're in the middle of the roadway, you may need to use your intuition and your better judgment to say, I, I would have to move this person to to point B in order for us to not only treat him in the in the short term, like you said, waiting for an ambulance to arrive, um, but uh, removing him, her, or ourselves from, from immediate danger from that target fixation of others again. So, right. So that goes that goes to again, kind of the 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 basics. You talked about two basics, really, right? And the one we talked about before was maintaining scene safety. If if the patient or the person is in a area that can cause more harm to the group or that individual, it may be necessary to move that person. And then the second thing that you mentioned too was like the airway, breathing, and circulation. For those listening, there are a lot of mnemonic devices we use in the medical community to remember the most important things, right? They're good learning and, and educational tools, airway, breathing, circulation, your ABCs, um, making sure that those things are happening are, are critical to that person maintaining life or, you know, staying around. Uh, I did like the fact that you really did mention that when you go up to a patient, you actually really touch them. I think a lot of people who may not have medical training or anything, are really afraid. I think there's a psychological element that you know people either shut down, they freeze, fl fly, or um, go right into or fight. You know the the basic instincts. Yeah, I mean it's good that I, I I do know that you you went through EMT school and and that you do have a basis from what is well known in the EMT courses and stuff. So um, that's that's really good that you're picking up on that. That we are. We are going through the initial scene size up stuff and how it would look in, in, in the street scenario. So we've, we've established and looked at like created and maintained the scene. We've really kind of approached the subject. We've moved the subject if we've needed to, right? If, if their, their life is in danger or the, the environment itself is creating an issue. You asked me, you asked me something I didn't answer. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, no. You, of course. you said, when would be the right time to call 911? So basically, in order to call 911, you want to know some basic information that you should obtain before calling 911. Uh, can you think of some of those things just logically? What would the information that would be needed by the by the responders? Location. That's a big Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Know where uh, you are before you call. How many people involved? That's the other big one because sometimes incidents need three ambulances right off the bat. Sometimes incidents need just one. So, you know, you, you wanna know how many people are involved. If if you are on the ambulance crest, as, as this scenario, you, it, sometimes helicopters are involved. So you, yeah. you have to, um, you have to uh, 
be cognizant of the type of uh, uh, transport that's going to be required to get that person out of there. And that should be, you know, that's obviously makes it more more sensitive if you need a helicopter. You, you're in an area that's remote. Cell phone service may or may not be spotty. So you may actually have to send your buddy to leave the location once you agree upon the location that you're going to report and that you and send them up the road higher up on the peak to go make the cell phone call and then come back to the scene after the, the call has been made. This is another scenario on, on, on that happens in somewhat remote locations that are great riding locations that have no cell phone service. Right. I remember you talking about that in a video that I watched. It's really, really great video. We'll probably send a link to it uh, down below in our podcast on Continue the Ride. It's You kind of go a little bit more deeper into trail and uh, motorcycle triage. Uh, the fact that you send someone out, if you send two riders out, one waits for medical services, the other ones return back with a report uh, that we've gotten through to EMS. Uh, so a lot of this is kind of thinking, you'd love to say that this is like common sense, but it's actually very procedural. There are protocols kind of that you have to follow, that you have to kind of remember. And you need to think almost three steps ahead uh, if to you, really. If you're, going to, if you're going to be riding, you know that, you're, that falling down is going to be uh, imminent. You, you, <laughs> if you've ever ridden a, a bicycle, you know that falling down happens and, and the motorcycle is like a bicycle. So you will fall down in the process of learning it and injuries can and do occur. And if, you, um, if you're cognizant of that fact, then you, you, when you go out to these places and, and somebody does get hurt, in those moments, somebody, some, somebody, anybody, two people perhaps, they can put their heads together and lead that situation down a path that that is for the best interest of you know that can basically get that get that patient get that person the best care that they can get versus a whole bunch of people who really don't know what to do next other than wait for somebody to come help them so say you don't have okay this is, say you don't have the training that you have or the limited training that i have right now i know that there's a big psychological element that kind of comes when you approach something like this. Even when I was going through EMT school, I came across probably more motorcycle accidents in that year than I'd ever come across in my life. We had a conversation about this before, how it's like almost kind of faded to happen. But I even remember slowly walking up to a scene and calm myself down, really start thinking and not rush into action. Always move slowly. So right. let, 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 I want to, you're, you're making a very good uh, uh I remember having that trepidation and intimidation before I got trained about wanting to help people have but and putting myself in this. You, you described it perfectly, but everything that we've talked about is on first aid level. As we as for the for the majority of 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 the um, riders out there, um, we're talking about uh, making good decisions and stabilizing that, making that, per, that, that person comfortable, um, uh, stopping any bleeding, uh, maintaining airway, and, and basically uh, becoming uh, that, that seven, eight minutes maximum waiting for the ambulance to arrive. 
you're your most valuable person on set on scene of that call. We're not delving into any major medical theories, no medications, no defibrillation. We're not talking about any of that. We're right. talking about what it takes to be a good paramedic, be a good nurse, be it, which is good baseline BLS, basic life support, first aid, CPR, what you know, carrying gloves on you, carrying gauze with you, carrying a SAM splint with you, carrying um, a, a, a tourniquet with you, some quick clot that um, if somebody does an, an impalement injuries in the thighs and, and in the, well, I wouldn't put quick clot in the chest, but uh, <laughs> right. uh, like a, a penetrating injuries, whether it be in the thorax or in the, in the muscle tissue, I've seen it countless times. You put you put branches and people in motion at the you know going towards opposite directions. You 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 may have a branch through the through the thigh, and if you don't know how to mitigate that or how to deal with that, waiting for the ambulance to arrive, that's a long ten minutes for yeah. you and the person on the ground. So uh, we're not talking about any major medical uh, theory. We're talking about BLS. You got you have to survive. You have to. Well, not you. You have to survive the 10 minutes. You have to let the patient survive the 10 minutes until EMS actually gets to where yeah. you are. I mean, let the let let the let the responders handle all the, you know, the heavy stuff that they that they have to lean on their training and their, they have expectations there. But you as a layman, as a first responder, um, you as a, somebody who's going to be a, a value in a, in a group of riders, then it would be nice to know that if I as the normally the medical provider of a, of a ride it's assumed that i'll be the medical guy when there's a when there's a but if i get hurt i would like to know that you sam could take care of me and that you would make the right decisions while i was on the ground if i was for some reason unable to speak for myself right and that's why i think it's super important because right? when i run and operate uh the dgr the distinguished gentleman's ride here in los angeles you know we don't have just one medic we have three, two or three at minimum. Um, and I think that's important for group rides, very much so. Anybody that's going out with multiple people, it's great to have one person that has basic life serving, uh, basic life saving skills or BLS uh, or first aid or CPR, AED certifications or anything like that. But it's better if two or three people in a four person or five person group have it. There's um, never a shortage of medical people on. I mean, mo medical people in motorcycle, it must be the adrenaline thing, I guess. They, there's a lot of doctors, nurses, medics in the motorcycle world. There's never a shortage of people that, that will be there. to. So, but, you know, I, you're right. But the, the real value of a medical person or um, whatever you want to call them it, on a ride, a, a, a safety person on a ride, you want to call them, is is preventing the accidents from happening in the first place. Right. It, you know, if the, if there's a, that's a different subject, but being a sweep rider, I've seen a lot of accidents manifest right in front of me. So I, I can smell them coming before they <laughs> actually come. So, and, so that when I, when I rush up on them and I tell them to back off or something and, and then, and then something happens and they see why that's, that's uh that's the real value, but to, to, to have a, you know, a lot of medical people, <laughs> I would, it's like having a lot of security guards at Disneyland. What's the point of that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what is, what's the point of this? 
<laughs> so just having a couple is good. You don't have too many doctors because yeah. they're going to start. They're going to start arguing with too many each cooks. other about exactly <laughs> right. Let's. Uh, we did talk about this a second ago, which was you know to move or not to move the patient. We discussed that earlier. I want to dispel another common myth. We talk about, and this comes up so many times. Like I, I people ask me this question a lot as well. When is it okay to remove a motorcycle helmet? When is it not okay to remove a motorcycle helmet? For the layman, the general answer is don't remove the helmet. Don't remove the helmet, you know, unless you have the rationale, the training to substantiate why you did, you really shouldn't be pulling it off in the first place. Unless you can answer why you did it, you shouldn't be doing it for the, but typically the 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 answer for us the rationale for us is if if there's any issue with the a b or c airway is compromised breathing is not is going to need to be supported with some mechanical ventilation or c they're not circulating which means helmet off cpr in progress we're not concerned about spinal immobilization when their life may be is ultimately on the line so it's um it again it falls back to the basic uh, rationale of a b c's and if a and b are intact make sure that c is intact guess what if a b and c are intact we can reduce the volume of the intensity of the you know the situation and um uh you have to work you know maintain the airway maintain the breathing when somebody what 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 i found valuable is when somebody uh, falls off a motorcycle they hit their head helmet hits something hard sometimes there's enough energy to uh cause a um you know they get knocked out it basically depolarizes all of the cells in the head and there's a there's a there's a period of time it takes for all of those uh, cells to re-energize and person comes back in the room we call that coming back into consciousness it's basically uh, a concussion and uh, in the in the period of time between when that concussion happens and when they become you know more uh, lucid they will be disoriented but they will they, they'll be asking questions and stuff like that but there may be a period where they have a, a snoring respirations and they'll be completely unconscious and um, they'll seem like they are very, very uh, hurt. And they should be considered um, definitely needing transport to the hospital, definite ambulance calling. Uh, but in the moments immediately after a wreck, if somebody got a, you know, a belt uh, 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 hit in the head or struck their head on something enough to where they got knocked out, there will be a period where um, there'll be um, unconscious, unresponsive, strange breathing uh, patterns, and they may be very concerning. But in time, it, it, waiting for the ambulance, the person may start coming around. And that obviously is where you're going to have to get into the uh, comfort measures, uh, uh, reassuring the patient. Maybe you have to answer the question that they ask the repetitive questions over and over right. and over again, waiting for the ambulance to arrive. So um, you may even be deal you may ha even have to deal with a, an irrational friend who just got their bell rung and and you have to be a good friend to them. 
Yeah, like I want to take my helmet off. I want to like, oh, I want to get up. Be no, like, how's my? What's my motor? How's my motor? Is my motorcycle okay? A little bit of that, probably. And 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 some of it's like, man, I'm not going to the hospital. I, I'm, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to the hospital, and you know, stuff like that. And they'll, they they may buck you, but they didn't see what they were like when you just rolled up on them. Right. So I mean, really, at the end of the day, too, you as the first responder, the person on scene. You got to lock it down. You got to be calm. You got to take your time. Those 10 minutes will feel like an hour or a lifetime. And it's, it's really important to bring yourself to a, a state of calm if you can, um, not only for everyone around you, but the person that you're helping. Uh, so how do people go about getting first aid training? I got, I got mine because I talked to you um and jeff camacho um you guys really kind of inspired me to go get my emt cert and become more aware uh of how i could help others and i naturally liked helping others but you guys pointed me in that right direction how could listeners they're thinking wow you know it's this is a real thing i may have seen an accident before i'd like to be able to be in a position to help where can I go? What can I do? Where should I start? I mean, Google's probably your best friend, but how would you, what advice would you give? If you, if you plan on working uh, professionally, making your money, uh, doing that kind of thing, then EMT is appropriate. If, if, if you want to just be a, a have a the bulk of information that will stay with you your whole life and be of help to whomever, you surround, then first aid and CPR is really what you need. If you can uh, go to the, just get the basics. EMT is for a person who ultimately wants to work in that profession. That's a that's a lot of work, and um, unless you plan on being paid for it, it might be overkill. There are some um, there are some like motorcycle uh, companies that want you to have your EMT if you're going to uh, be work in a medical capacity and within their activities, you know, like Rawhide and, you know, some of the track day organizations and perhaps DGR. I don't know if they pay their medics or whatever. They, okay. So if they, if they, uh, there are some people that could, that require EMT if you want to work in the motorcycle thing specifically, but if for the average uh, person who wants to just be a, a valuable member of a riding group, and uh, have that knowledge that will extend beyond writing, let's be honest. First aid and CPR is all you really need. Red Cross um, has uh, classes. Um, I don't know how they would do first aid and CPR trainings now with like social distancing and stuff like that. I'm sure they're out there. But uh, look up first aid and CPR training in your local area. There's always these, these local shops that, that have a, a, a series of medical kind of orient they even have pet cpr if you want to learn how to do cpr on on your pet that they teach you yeah so i want to i want to learn that for my cats <laughs> it, it exists you know? you're gonna have to so, wrap your your mouth around the entire cat's head but i think you've done that already <laughs> i love my cat man they're great cats I know, they're great. um so you know as 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 your host for the reserve tank and for continue the ride itself, we will give you a link to a bunch of places and that you can get your basic life-saving courses kind of taken care of. 
uh, first aid, CPR, AED certifications. And we'll also include some links to that may be more motorcycle focused. There are a lot of programs out there that focus on uh, things you'll come across when you're out on the trail if you're riding dirt bikes. And we'll also kind of give a link to some basic uh, medical first aid uh, packs that you can kind of take with you. You mentioned a lot of those, like having a tourniquet, uh, having some gauze, ace bandage, SAM splint. Some of those things you may be like, what's a SAM splint? And that's not something I created, y'all. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a medical thing. Uh, it's really great. Instead of using two sticks and an ace bandage, uh, SAM splints, really, really helpful. I have one in my med pack as well yeah, there's when I a go series out on of, trips. There's a series of YouTube videos that shows creative ways of using those things. It's amazing. Oh, Sam splints are amazing. They had, I, I had one used, actually they used the, um, I broke my leg in November. They used the inflatable, it's that beaded one. It's got beads. Yeah, that's a vacuum <laughs> splint. It's a, it that takes, thing was, yeah. I carried, I carry one of those on the motorcycle when I'm on a, on a trip because they're reusable and they're large enough to, you know, and there's different sizes and it's light, you know, they're right. very light. So it's a really neat solution. And the good thing about those vacuum splints uh, versus the inflatable ones is that they can be held um, for long periods of time where their circulation issues may develop with the inflatable ones over long periods of time. Right. Um, the, the vacuum splints, uh, once you suck all the air and it conforms to the shape of the, it stabilizes everything and you can keep it on there for, for, for days if need be. There you have it, folks. All right, I think that's a good solid introduction to how you can help your friends if somebody goes down. Hopefully you're not the one training, you're the one that goes down, but maybe you're conscious enough to tell people how to help yourself. But uh, get trained, be very cognizant of the, the low parts of motorcycling as we experience so much of the awesome joy and happiness of moto. We always wanna be in a position where we can lend aid, render aid, uh, and be prepared for the worst. So, Sharif, I want to thank you for coming on today. I hope to have you on again. We can get it a little deeper for people that are maybe going out into the woods or the wilderness, uh, riding some big ADV bikes off-road uh, into the middle of nowhere because that's what I love to do, and that's always something that I'm always thinking about is, you know, how can I get myself out of this situation or what do I need to deal with? How do I expand off of these uh, these basic life-saving services to the point where like, you know, I may need to render more aid or take care of somebody for longer than 10 minutes. Uh, I think it's a good topic to talk about. And I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in it. Again, thanks so much for joining us, bud. Um, Thank you, Sam. And thanks for bringing light to this subject. I, I always promote this subject, especially in the motorcycle community. And I think you're doing a really good thing by, by, by bringing uh, attention to this. And, and thank you for having me on. It's always great to see you and uh, you know, Keep up the great work. I want to see more of this out there. Cool. All right, everybody. That's been this episode of The Reserve Tank presented by Progressive. We have other great things happening. So much more digital videos coming out for IMS rides, uh, highlighting really awesome riders. There's Inside the Garage with IMS. We're going to do some DIY stuff. If you're really interested in the motorcycle industry, my bud Robert Pandia hosts The Center Stand, a motorcycle industry podcast. Everything comes out once a month. Be sure to subscribe at continuetheride.com. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are everywhere. But for right now, we are out. Ride smart, ride safe, and we'll see you out there on the road. Uh -huh.